Thank you for joining me again today on Bible Foundations. I'm Jerry Smythe, your host, and it's a joy to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the Deliverer, the one who is able to save us from the penalty of sin and death. Now, before we go on into our continued study of what it means to be born again, we want to recognize that this is a phrase that was not coined by the advertising agencies of our day. It was a phrase that was coined by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he's going to great extent here to explain to us how to know the way to God, how to get to God. Now, let's just review a couple of things that we've looked over together over the last day or so. Jesus found himself surrounded, as did John the Baptist, by religious leaders of their day. And they didn't accept Jesus' teaching. And the reason they didn't accept Jesus' teaching is because they were very proud. They were trusting in their own additions to the law, in many cases, in the, in the cases of the Pharisees. And they thought they were good enough the way they were for God to accept them. After all, they were leaders of the religious sect called the Pharisees. And God didn't accept them because they were coming to God on their own merits. And they, too, were given the message of the need to repent, change their attitude. That's what Jesus said, just as John the Baptist had said, and just as many others in throughout the Old Testament had said. Change your attitude of self-reliance to an attitude of trusting in God's way for salvation, an attitude of trusting God uh, for freedom from sin, and ability to make right choices concerning the things of God. Jesus said that in repenting, people needed to change their attitude, agreeing with God that they were helpless sinners. You and I need to agree with God that we are helpless sinners. Now, it's pretty easy to recognize that everybody sins. As I talk with people, I, I talk to them about sin, and everybody recognizes that everyone's pretty well a sinner. We all come short of the glory of God. But do we recognize ourselves, you personally, me personally, as helpless sinner? Are you are a helpless sinner today, friend? Do you believe the good news which Jesus has come to tell us? Well, that's what's critical, you see. It's the only way we can please God, is by believing his word. He didn't just leave it for people to decide what God's way was and then write it down by themselves. No, the word of God, the Bible, is God-breathed. He had special men write it, and they wrote it just exactly the way he wanted us to know it. There was a difference between the way Jesus taught and the way the scribes of that day taught. You remember that the scribes were the ones to whom it had been committed to keep uh, an accurate reproduction of the uh, early scrolls. As God breathed it and it was written down, the scribes were the ones who were given the responsibility to perfectly copy the Word of God. And they took their job very seriously. The problem was that it became a job and it became something they were very proud of. And uh, they protected it with their very lives, if you will, but they did not apply it to their hearts. They taught as pious know-it-alls, and Jesus was one who came in a spirit of humility, and he taught as one who was sure of what God meant in his word. He knew what God's word meant because he was there to please God. He was God. Jesus is God, and Jesus is God the Son. And the scribes just gave their opinions as to what they thought God meant or what others said God had meant. But Jesus spoke with authority 
and he was the one who knew what God said because he was God. And as they were taught, everybody could see the difference between the human perspective and God giving him understanding of who he was and how he would relate to us today. And now we'll remember that Jesus demonstrated himself as God as he took command, not only teaching authoritatively, but when there was a, a, a person in the temple who was filled with the spirit of evil, a spirit uh, or a devil himself, an evil spirit, well, that Jesus had command of that situation. And he commanded the devil to come out of this man. This was right in the temple. One who was supposed to be a religious person was there. And yet he demonstrated that he had an evil spirit. An evil spirit, a devil, if you will. And we see this is the work of Satan himself. There's a lot of that in religious circles even yet today. People who claim that they are piously part of the body of Christ, and yet their very spirit is one that would reflect the evil spirit of their father, Satan himself. There's no reflection of the spirit of humility as there was in Jesus, and yet they claim to follow Jesus. And I tell you that there are people in our presence today who are indeed filled with an evil spirit that is not from God. And you see that by the way that they act toward other believers and particularly toward the leaders that are there in the church today. Well, we see that the person with leprosy came to Jesus in a spirit of humility and he was dependent on Jesus to help him because there was no one else who could. He came to God as an ordinary person and he realized that Jesus was not an ordinary person because Jesus was able to cure his leprosy. And that's just what Jesus did. You see, just as no one can deliver themselves from the power of sin and death, so no, this man could not deliver himself from the power of leprosy in his body. He came to Jesus for deliverance and we too must come to Jesus uh, come to God through Jesus, uh, who can deliver us from the power of sin. He is the promised deliverer. Now in John chapter 3, we'll remember that Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, a part of the sect of the Pharisees, who came to Jesus. And he knew that Jesus was indeed God. He recognized that this one was more than just the normal prophet that had come along in times past. He knew that Jesus was sent by God and he had seen the great miracles that Jesus has done and recognized that these things could only be accomplished by the power of God. Now, most of the other Pharisees hated Jesus and were saying that he did his miracles by the power of Satan. And this is blasphemy. But Nicodemus came acknowledging that Jesus was sent by God, even though he did come at night. And in John chapter 3, Jesus declared to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus was telling Nicodemus that he needed to be born new, born of the Spirit, he was saying, and unless that was the case, he could not see the kingdom of God. Now, in our world of advertising, we see that there's born-again Volkswagens, there's born-again uh, washing soap, there's born-again hamburgers, and it just seems like everything's born again today. And it's a phrase that's familiar to many people. So the advertisers in these recent years have taken advantage of that very familiar phrase. But my friend, this is not just a casual advertising phrase. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the one who says to Nicodemus, this religious leader, that he needed a new birth. 
He needed to be born a second time. And he goes on to explain what he means by that because he wants him to understand that the only way that Nicodemus can come to God is God's way. The only way that you and I can come to God is God's way. Now let's have a good look at what Jesus was saying here. You'll remember when God created Adam and Eve, he made them in his own image. God gave them minds so that they could know and understand him. God made them so that they could love him. He gave them also the ability to obey his will and to do what he wanted them to do. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they died to God. They were separated or cut off from him. They were no longer in oneness or in fellowship with God. They were no longer his friends as they were when he created them. Now they still had minds and emotions and their own will, but because of their sin, they were unable to know God and understand his words from that time on. Neither were they able to love or obey him. Therefore, they were no longer able, able to please God. Their minds and hearts and wills were now under the control of Satan. Now, Cain and Abel and all people born since that time have been born unable to know God and unable to understand God and unable to love or obey God. No person born into this world can please God. You cannot please God. I cannot please God. Every person in every place, regardless of nationality, regardless of their color, or of their language, has been born under Satan's authority. And Jesus told Nicodemus that the only way a person can escape Satan's power and rule is to be able to, and to be able to know and love and obey God is to be born again. Jesus was telling Nicodemus that he must receive a new mind and a new heart, which would be able to know God and understand God as Adam and Eve could when God created them. You see, we too must be made new so that we can love and obey God. Now comes the question, how is it possible for a person to be born again? How can someone be ch changed so that he is under the rule of God and no longer under the rule of Satan? Can we change ourselves? No, we've seen the demonstration of that over and over again. We cannot change ourselves. But God, my friend, is all-powerful. He's able to do anything and everything. Now let me ask you the question. Was it something you did to cause yourself to be born into this world under Satan's authority? No, of course not. Adam sinned, and every person who was born after Adam inherited his sin. We didn't do anything to cause ourselves to be born under Satan's control. And in the same way, neither can we do anything to escape Satan and change our, ourselves or our lives so that we will be pleasing to God. And that's essential. You see, our good works can't bring us out of Satan's kingdom and into God's kingdom. When we're born into this world, we were all born separated or dead to God. It's impossible for us to bring ourselves back into oneness with God. Only God can do that. And he can do that. He is almighty. Nothing is impossible to him as we've seen time and time again. You see, by his power, he causes people to be born again. A new birth into God's family. Let's look down in John chapter 3, verse 4. Nicodemus wondered about this, and, he said, and Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? 
Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now God is teaching us what he means here about being born again, about the necessity of a new birth. And here Nicodemus asks the very question that you've been asking, and that is, how is it that we can be born a second time? You see, Nicodemus was very surprised when Jesus said that a person must be born again before he can understand or before he can come under the rule of God and enter God's kingdom. Until he talked with Jesus, Nicodemus probably felt that his first birth was quite sufficient to put him into a right relationship with God. After all, he was a descendant of Abraham, and also he was a part of the sect of the Pharisees. He was a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus thought that Jesus meant that people's bodies had to be born a second time as a baby. Now God begins to teach us as he teaches Nicodemus here. As we see Jesus, God the Son, the Son of God, now explaining what being born again means to Nicodemus. Read verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, it's important to recognize that the water that Jesus spoke of here is not speaking of baptism. Baptism cannot make us children of God, nor can it wash away our sin. It's critical that when we read Scripture that we understand the context in which the speaker is speaking. And in this case, Jesus is speaking about a physical birth, and then he's talking, which he refers to as born of water, and then he's speaking of a spiritual birth, born of the Spirit of God. Now we've called attention to the fact that God himself is the best commentary on his own word. He gives commentary in different parts of Scripture, but it's important that we understand that each Scripture it must be realized and read and understood and interpreted in the context that it's given. Now over in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, we see that God is giving us further commentary through the Apostle Peter on what he means by a spiritual birth and what it means to be born again. Read it with me in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 where it says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. This context is talking about the necessity of being born again, not only physically, but of the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now, when Jesus said that every person who comes to under God's rule must first be born by the Spirit, Jesus meant that the only way a person can receive a new mind and be able to love and obey God and be given a new life is by hearing and understanding and believing the Word of God. That person who, uh, who hears and understands and believes the Word of God will be changed by the Holy Spirit so that they can know God and understand God's words and be able to love and respond to God and be able to live under his rule and his authority and therefore enter the kingdom of God. Now, friends, man can only come to God according to God's will and plan. God didn't make many ways. He made one way. And here's how he's explaining it to Nicodemus as he, we continue on in John chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. Jesus go on to, goes on to explain in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, 
If you're a human being, born of a human being, it's, you're a human being. That's that. And then he goes on and says, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Jesus says that a second birth is necessary, a birth of the Spirit. That which has been uh, cut off from God from the time of Adam and Eve is dead to God and has been by birth from every person from that time on until you and I today. And God is telling us that we need a new birth. We need to have a new birth that brings us that new life which enables us to know and respond to God to understand his words and love him and to live under his authority and then in, enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus told Nicodemus that he shouldn't be surprised at this business of being born again. God says that there are only two categories of people in the world as far as he's concerned. These two categories do not define themselves as the rich or the poor or the good or the bad or the young or the old. Here are the two categories that Jesus is suggesting here. He says that there are those who have been born only once and are still under Satan's rule. And then there are those who are born twice, a second time. Those who have been born a second time and are now under God's rule. All those born only once are in Satan's family. And all those who have been born a second time are in God's family. Now Nicodemus still had trouble understanding what Jesus was saying. And so we see that the Lord Jesus himself gave an illustration right out of the Old Testament. Read with me what Jesus says in verses 14 and 15. He says to Nicodemus, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is reminding Nicodemus, who knew the Old Testament fairly well because he was a leader of the, of the Jews and of the Pharisees, we see that Jesus takes him back to the Old Testament, to one of those foundational truths. And the setting is found in Numbers chapter 21. And we see that this is a place where the Israelites had murmured and had uh, sinned against God. And so God sent the poisonous snakes to bite them. And when they were bitten by those snakes, they began to die. And when they repented, that is when they changed their attitude and admitted their sin, God told Moses to build a brass snake and put it up on a pole. And God promised that whoever was bitten and looked at that brass snake would be healed. All they had to do is turn in their sickness and look on that brass snake and God would heal them. Now put yourself in Nicodemus's position just for a moment. Nicodemus had been working hard and trying to observe God's laws. He hadn't realized that in his own efforts, he was totally unacceptable to God. He needed to do what those Israelites had done and simply turn and look at this at the, and put his trust by faith in the Lord. That's what the Lord Jesus was trying to teach him right at that point. He's saying, look, you need to do the same thing that those people back in the wilderness did when they realized that they'd been disobedient to God and that they hadn't met God's standard. They turned and looked at the serpent on the pole and they were healed of their sickness. And Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, look, I realize that you've been trying to do right, but that's not what's acceptable. You're just like that, those ones who have been bitten by those snakes. You've been bitten by sin. 
And you're a sinner because you're the descendant of sinners and you're under Satan's control. And in order to break Satan's control, all you have to do is look at that which has been lifted up and you will be saved from Satan's control and the penalty of death. Now, Jesus was explaining all this to Nicodemus, but our situation is like that too, just like that of the Israelites in the wilderness. You see, Satan, who is called that old serpent, had guided Adam away from God. And when Adam sinned against God, he died. Now all of Adam's descendants are separated from God and are dying because they are sinners. And the payment for sin is death. That's never changed. It's still the same. The Israelites could not save themselves from the snakes, and we cannot save ourselves from death. God delivered the Israelites, and only God can deliver us. Now Jesus is telling Nicodemus that there is only one way that he can be delivered from Satan and from sin and from death, and that is by being born again into God's family. Jesus said that he must be lifted up, just as the brass snake was in the wilderness, so that whosoever trusts in him will be born into the family of God and come once again under his authority. All of those who put their trust in Jesus will be given eternal life by God. That's what he said there, right there in that 15th verse. Whosoever believeth in him shall not, should not perish, but have eternal life. Now Jesus comes and brings Nicodemus to the most famous verse in all the world that we've heard from the Bible. You've seen it on banners at ball games, on television uh, telecasts of the ball games of the world. And this is the critical message to the whole world, my friend. And here's where Jesus says it to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, God the Son, is telling us that God the Father loved the world so much that he has given his only begotten Son, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, who has come now, and whoever believes in him will not perish. You see, all the world, every person, every man, every woman, every race, every language, every creed, every person, Every individual in the whole world is under the sentence of death as the payment for sin. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life, everlasting life. Jesus is telling Nicodemus as he tells you and I that God gave Jesus Christ the son to be the savior. His only begotten son. Jesus was God's only son. There's none other like him, my friend. Now, what did Jesus say a sinner has to do to be delivered from Satan's power? Here's what he said. That whosoever believeth in him. Now, when a man or a woman or a child believes God's words and trusts in Jesus as a savior, God gives that person a new life. That person will no longer be under Satan's control. He'll no longer be Satan's child or under his rule. That person will become a child of God. That's why Jesus told people to change their minds and believe the good news that God had given them through Jesus. Jesus was God's son. This was God's good news. The way of life is presented here. Once again, however, we see that man must have faith 
in order to please God and be saved. We must come to God believing what he has told us. And here he wants us to believe in that one who is known to us as Jesus. And Jesus said that all who believe on him should not perish. You see, God is loving and merciful and gracious, and he doesn't want us to spend eternity separated from him. He wants us to know him, and we've been cut off by our sin from him from the time of Adam and Eve and their sin, and everyone is cut off from God. And God says, now I'm showing you the way back. I'm showing you that by believing in Jesus as the deliverer, that he is the one who can deliver you from the power of Satan and sin, that he also can give you the way of escape. You don't have to perish, my friend. Those who trust in the Savior from God, uh, the one God who is sent, will not go to everlasting punishment for their sins. You see, God is faithful. He's promised a deliverer, and he never changes. And not only does he make the promise that you'll not perish, but he promises that all who believe in Jesus as their Savior will receive everlasting life. They will have everlasting life. But let's look at the contrast now as we move on into verse 17. It tells us, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This passage of Scripture is telling us that no one needs to wait until he dies to know if he'll be accepted or rejected by God. You see, the Scripture tells us here that those who believe will be accepted. Those who refuse the Savior are condemned and rejected by God right now. But my friend, the good news is that God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's God's promise. Can God be trusted? Oh, my friend, the record of history throughout the Bible shows us that God is trustworthy. He always keeps his promises. He always makes his way clear to us. And he says that we can come to him if we come his way. Can God be trusted? Yes, indeed. He always does exactly what he's promised. And we've read those things as we've read through and taught through the Old Testament foundations, showing us that God has never failed to keep even one of his promises. But look at verse 18. He that believeth on him, that is on Jesus, is not condemned. Now what did he say? That God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, and now he says he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not, in contrast, is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, no one needs to wait until he dies to know if he will be accepted or rejected by God. This scripture tells us right here that he that believeth on him in Jesus Christ as Savior is not condemned, but he that believeth not in the name of God, a name of the only begotten Son of God, is condemned already. So right now you know whether you are accepted or condemned by God based on the fact of whether you believe. You see, that's always been God's way to him. The way has always been to men to believe what he says. And now he's given us the record. He's given us literally hundreds of illustrations in the Old Testament of what it meant to believe or not believe. And now he's given us the record of the promised deliverer, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And if we believe in him, we'll be saved from the penalty of death. And that's what's critical to you and I right now. 
Jesus declared again in chapter 5, verse 24 of John, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Jesus further explains that condemnation in verses 19 and 20 of John chapter 3. Look at it with me, if you will, please. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to light, lest his deeds should be reproved. You see, the reason people do not agree with God's word and trust in him is that they love their own sinful ways. They don't want to admit that they're wrong, and they don't want God to change them. They try to keep away from God's truth so that their sinfulness will not be uncovered. But, oh, my friend, God already knows about every person and about everyone, so it's foolish to think that your sin is hidden. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke again, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Do you have the light of life today, my friend, or do you continue to walk in darkness? Thank you for joining me on Bible Foundations. I appreciate your taking the time, and we want you to walk in the light of God's Word. Join me again next time on Bible Foundations.